Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And I'm talking comic books, the podcast where two brothers discuss comic books they loved growing up. I'm one of those brothers, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one of those brothers, Kevin Hines. Wait, no, you're not Kevin what? Hines. Which, oh, Will Hines. I'm Will but, Hines. It's understandable. We took a short break. It's easy to forget who you are. The only time uh, I say my name is on this podcast. Yeah. Um, we are also... Um, members of the Upright Citizen Brigade um, theaters uh, where we teach and perform, though those theaters right now are not running. Right. So our identity is just this podcast. Yeah, this is it. This is the main thing we're known for. But we're, you know, we're allegedly somewhat funny people, although I should warn everybody, we have a sense of humor that is uh, what is known as dry, mm -hmm. which is another way of saying not everyone thinks we're funny. Yeah. Dry is like saying not funny. Yeah, dry is like saying they're funny, but you don't laugh. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You're we're funny, funny but it's just like... Who, if you already like us a lot, yeah. you might smile when we're talking. If you already thought the thing was funny that we're joking about, you'll nod your head and be like, I get it. Yeah. But otherwise, you will say, I don't get why they're funny. Yeah, they're complete duds is what you'll think to yourself. And then hopefully you'll listen to every episode to, to justify your opinion of us. They're like, I think they're duds, but I want to make sure. Cut to yeah. 50 episodes later. Mm -hmm. So, um, Kevin, we're going to talk about a new comic book. Why don't you say what that is? Sure. This is uh, our fourth season in a way, right, Will? Yeah. And we're going to be discussing Justice League International, which is an uh, iteration of the Justice League comic book, the um, uh, collection of DC superheroes, the Avengers of the DC universe, um, Justice League International, uh, was written by Keith Giffen with scripting by James DeMatties and at least initially penciled by Kevin McGuire. And um, it's an interesting era of the Justice League and also the first era of the Justice League you and I read. Yeah, we, we read this as it came out and we loved it. So this fits our brother's requirement. What most people think of when they think of the Justice League would be kind of what was in the movie recently, the terrible Zack Snyder, Joss Whedon movie. Or the Super Friends, which is basically the A-list superheroes. Superman, Batman, uh, uh, Flash, Woman. Green Lantern, Wonder Woman. Uh, those guys. Yeah, that's and that's usually what the Justice League has been. Over when the, the Justice League first started, I think Superman and Batman were part-time members. But it was the rest of them were like the biggest characters that DC had. Yeah. But this DC, this JLI, this Justice League incarnation is... Um, hilariously, mostly B or even C listers. <laughs> yeah. Like so, not big characters. If you say B listers, it's a compliment to most of these characters. <laughs> yeah. It's like a weird collection of sort of thrown together. And there's a reason for that that wasn't necessarily an artistic decision, but it ends up really working for it. It kind of ends up being like the minor leagues of the DC universe. Yeah. The whole, so I the, guess whole, the whole thing is pretty funny, right? It's not a comedy per se, but it's like a fun, lighthearted book. Yeah, I would say by the end, it pretty much is a comedy. The issues we're covering are uh, less comedy and more comedic. So just like us, they're kind of funny, <laughs> but you know, you, yeah. there's funniness to them, but you wouldn't say they were funny primarily. That's right. Like when people um, talk about you and me, they right. primarily talk about our action and our drama and our comedy mm -hmm. is only second. Right. People are more interested in our heroic endeavors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, yeah. 
you saved all those people last week and everyone thought that was really cool. Yep. And then like one person was like, I thought he was funny too. I saved them by getting my improv class canceled so they didn't have to sit in a room with me. That's what they were mm-hmm. saved from in my yeah, case. Right, right. But um, um, yeah, the Justice League is like this, uh, I mean, it was popular also, right? It was a hit. Yeah, surprisingly, it was a hit. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been. It's a bad idea thrown together. But and at it, the worst time possible. Um, yeah, what, say, say what you mean. Unpack that for me, Kevin. So, so what was going on? So there's a this, lot to unpack there. So this so, came out in May of 1987. That's when this series started. That's right. So we had already had uh, Batman The Dark Knight Returns. The year before. And we had Watchmen. The year before. And was Batman Year One also out already? Might have been coming out this year. I forget. So it, like, was, it was around this era. It's the era of that stuff. So, so that's like, you know, comic books were getting dark. Uh, so that's one thing. Like comic books are getting dark, and this is a lighthearted superhero comic, which feels very different. Though I think a lot of DC's comics at the time were lighthearted. Yeah. Um, but definitely the fans were more interested in general in dark characters. Also, gritty, this was gritty, fu- pulp, pulp fiction-esque, crime noir, you know, violence and drugs mm-hmm. and cynicism and, hey, maybe superheroes are stupid and like... Yeah, you know, superheroes are stupid and less like... If, if you were a real superhero, you'd kill someone. Yeah, and if you're going to be a real love interest in a superhero comic, you better have multiple drug addictions. My cat's chiming in. Um. And then also this was the first Justice League iteration after Crisis. And Crisis was um, this big event that DC Comics had where like basically um, every comic book character showed up. It was the first time they really did anything like this. But every single comic book character showed up. And at that point, DC had this really confusing universe with like multiple Earths. Like some comics were based on Earth 1 and some comic books were based on Earth 2. And the powers that be were like, this is getting too confusing. Let's tell a story that combines all the Earth into one Earth. Mm-hmm. And then also in doing so, we can relaunch Superman, relaunch Wonder Woman, make people interested in these characters again. Yeah. Um, and so this is the relaunch of Justice League in the new DC universe. So in a, in a sense, you would want it to be like, put your best foot forward. You wouldn't want to say, make sure Dr. Light is in this. Right, right. Make sure fire and ice. Am I remembering them right? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, they're not in it yet, but uh, yeah, you you wouldn't you wouldn't say like, oh, we got to get that great female character, Black Canary, and you'd say, let's get Wonder Woman. Right. Um, Is Oberon in Justice League? Then you got the A list. <laughs> oh, let's get some great Jack Kirby characters. Oh, like Dark Side and uh, and um, and those. No, no, we're gonna get Mister Miracle and Oberon. It's like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess Mr. Miracle's a pretty Mr. good Miracle's- DC Kirby character, but yeah. certainly not popular. <laughs> not compared to um, Superman and Green Lantern and Flash and Aquaman, none of who are in this comic. But I remember reading comics at this time, and and the the term post-crisis was used a lot. You'd be like, oh, I like that comic pre-crisis, or I like that comic post-crisis, That's or right. something like that. It was like a way you marked where it was. Um, this is also our first DC book, Kevin, and it's our first 80s book. Yeah, we did one episode about Watchmen and one episode about Batman, but this is our first run of DC books. So what do you think about DC Comics in general? Are you a DC guy, you a Marvel guy? Come on, what side? What side are you? I mean, I'm not either. Oh, come uh, on, guess, dude. <laughs> sorry. Uh, at this time, shortly after Justice League International, I think I was switching. Uh, I, like Basically, the early 90s, I was all DC. 
most I, Marvel stuff didn't interest me. Um, probably at the time, Justice League International was mostly Marvel. Mm-hmm. And then after Justice League International, not right after Justice League International, but a while after, uh, like late 10 90s, the aughts or something like that. I think it was the aughts. Um, I, I, DC got real bad. <laughs> and now and there's some good DC stuff and there's some good Marvel stuff. It's all kind of a mess right now. <laughs> There's some um, great stuff from both book, uh, both companies, and there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't interest me. But this is sort of the beginning of DC, I think, getting really, really good. At least for me. Post-Crisis DC Universe uh, was the Flash I loved. It was the Green Lantern I loved. It was the Justice League I loved. And then eventually it would have uh, all these uh, satellite Batman characters that I really enjoyed. Robin and Nightwing. Um, Batgirls. Comic was really good for a while. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of like cool, um, uh, weird, tiny characters or, or books that weren't popular at all that I really loved. Like Chase uh, was a great book. Our Man. There was like an Android Our Man was great. Even the Justice League that eventually followed this one, which was by Grant Morrison, which was the A-listers, it was a phenomenal Justice League book. Okay, cool. So like at that time when, when Grant Morrison was on Justice League, it was just like, oh, DC Comics, everything in DC Comics was so good. Yeah. And it began here in my mind. Uh, so, Will, why don't you talk about Keith Giffen, who is sort of the... Mastermind. Yeah, the architect of this book. Keith Giffen does the... Yeah, Keith Giffen is a writer and an artist, although he, has a, he, does, a, he does kind of a Marvel thing. He does what Stan Lee always said he did, which is he'll, he'll outline the story, does the plot, and then he would do the breakdowns, like somehow like some sort of sketch of how the panel should be composed. But then he would hand it off and somebody else would do the actual drawing following his composition. And then somebody else would do the script, the dialogue. Yeah. But um, we know Keith Giffen, or I, I learned of Keith Giffen because of a comic book called Ambush Bug, which came right. before this. And Ambush Bug is a comedic character, is a straight-up comedy thing. We, there was a four-issue miniseries. I don't even remember why I bought it. I cannot remember why that was. I might have got issue two first, just as a thing. It just looked so funny. That and sounds I, right. You did that a lot. Yeah. I would you would buy something in the middle and then go back and dig, try to find earlier issues. Yeah. So I got Ambush Bug. I think All you people who go to Netflix and have to start with episode one, you don't get it. You don't understand how I do it. Even now, I go to Netflix. I'm like, I'll start with issue. I'll start with episode five. <laughs> yeah, and then it grabs me. I'll back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I got Ambush Bug is a really funny book that Keith Giffen did, um, and it, Ambush Bug is like it was a real character of the DC universe, but I think originally it was a real character, but sort of then became a comic character, comedic but created character. by Keith Giffen. Oh, I didn't know that. He was a supporting character in a couple Superman stories, I think. And he got sillier and sillier, and then he became... Um, He's like a guy who has a suit that gives him powers, like teleportation, I think. I think just teleportation. And then, but by the time the Ambush Bug 4-issue miniseries came out, he was just straight up a self-aware, meta, breaking the fourth wall character who like basically parodied the state of comic books as they were. Yeah, he was doing Deadpool stuff before Deadpool was even a, yeah, he was uh, kind an of inkling of an idea. Well, way sillier, and yes. um, and uh, I loved sort of, him. And he made fun of comic books, and he was very meta. 
Like he was aware he was in the comic book. He talked about panel composition. So we're probably going to cover ambush books. We don't probably don't need to get that much into it. But that, that made me love Keith Giffen. It was like really funny. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this Keith Giffen guy is great. And so then I don't remember if it was you or I who decided to read Justice League, but whoever Not brought me. it up, when I saw Keith Giffen's name on it, I was like, I got to get it. And the cover looked funny. It was like a Batman and a bunch of no names. And then the Guy Gardner, the number two Green Lantern. Number three. Okay, number three Green Lantern, staring out the cover at the audience being like, you want to make something of it? Is that what he's saying? Yeah. And this became a famous sort of iconic cover, but it was like confrontational and it knew that you'd be looking at this collection of people and being like, these guys? Yeah, the lineup on the cover of Justice League, uh, at this point just called Justice League, it wasn't called Justice League International yet, but on the cover of Justice League, the characters that were shown were Mr. Miracle, (laughs) who is a, a fourth world character, from Jack Kirby's fourth world. He's good at escaping from stuff. Yeah. His like manager, Oberon the dwarf, <laughs> uh, black canary, sort of a legit B level character. Yeah. Uh, Martian Manhunter, another like legit B level character. And an original justice league member, an original justice league he's, member. He always has a place in justice league cause he's a founding member. Uh, Batman. Okay. There he, that's, that's a list all the way. No, yeah. No question. Blue beetle. <laughs> Not a list, but it fills me in Kevin's secret Steve Ditko requirement. Yeah. Uh, Blue Beetle was a recently uh, acquired character from the Charlton Library that DC had purchased and then merged with their universe. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't even really a part of the DC universe before this. Uh, uh, Dr. Fate. Yeah, who's kind of the Dr. Strangey kind of mystical dude, right? Yeah. If you think Dr. Strange is too personable and relatable, Dr. <laughs> Fate's for you. If you want Dr. Strange, but without the personality and all the uh, alliteration, try Dr. Fate. Yeah. Captain Marvel. Shazam, who then, that, that's of course a legit A-list character, but like he's more from the 40s and 50s in modern times, especially in the 80s. He he wasn't he didn't really have an A list yeah. place. He used to be as big, if not bigger, than Superman. And then DC right. bought him or sued <laughs> him out of existence, and then bought him. Yeah. And then he just sort of faded away, and and they always sort of, I mean, kept him around, and he's always been sort of loved by a lot of people. But he's a deep, deep, deep second place Superman. And he's kind of like, what do we do with this guy? It's sort of like. And having him in your Justice League is like having the monkeys replace the Beatles, kind of. It's like, yeah. Um, so it's an improvement, a lot of people would say. Yeah. As kids, <laughs> Kevin loved the monkeys more than the Beatles, which irks me to this day. Um, who else do we got on this cover? I guess three more. And, and finally, more. Uh, no, one more. You didn't say uh, Dr. Finally, Light. Oh, I skipped Dr. Light, right? Dr. Light, who is a brand new character who originated in the Crisis Universe uh, story. Yeah. And I don't know much about her. Even from and at the time this. this comic would come out, you really wouldn't have. Yeah. And then Guy Gardner, who was definitely the third Green Lantern. <laughs> the first was Hal Jordan. Uh-huh. And the second was John Stewart. Okay. And then there's this guy <laughs> who I'm still not 100% sure of his backstory. I think he was a character who was like a one-issue storyline where he like, he was, his thing was he was supposed to be like the next closest person to the ring. Okay. Hal Jordan was just closer, so Hal Jordan got the ring. But like Guy Gardner was also worthy. Okay. Just further away. Um, and so at some point, Hal Jordan was sort of knocked out of commission and Guy Gardner sort of stepped up. But I think it was like just a short storyline. And yeah. then eventually when they really had a second Green Lantern step up, they used Jon Stewart. And so okay. Guy Gardner has always been sort of behind him. And at some point, 
and I don't know when this happened, Guy Garner um, got anger issues. It was before this, but he sort of became sort of a, a jerk. Yeah. This amplifies that, I think, a lot. Um, I don't think he's never as big a jerk as he is in the Justice League. He's really but funny in this. In this, um, His main personality is he's like kind of a macho bro. Yeah, he's super right? bro. He's like, I should be in charge of these wimps. What yeah. these people need is a tough guy who's not afraid to like speak his mind. And so that's the team that got thrown together. Um, the collection I have, which is called um, uh, it's just Volume 1. That's great. <laughs> just like International <laughs> Volume 1. Um, has a foreword by Keith Giffen. Yeah. Um, and there's another volume, a collection of these with as a forward by Andy Heffler. And they both sort of tell the same story, which is that Keith Giffen was sort of bugging Andy that he wanted to write Justice League. Like when you, when Justice League comes back, I want to write it. Yeah. Not really thinking he'd get it because Keith Giffen wasn't a big name. Right. Um, and then Andy Heffler was told he was doing Justice League and he sort of gave it to Keith Giffen. He's like, let's do this. But they both thought, at least initially, it was the relaunch of Justice League. They'd get most of the big names. Right. And then they were sort of told by the editors of those big names, you can't have them. You can't have Superman. We're just restarting him. It's too soon to put him in the Justice League. And right. Wonder Woman, same thing. George Perez was like, That's, I can't have her in the Justice League and do my story. Right. So you it, can't, and they didn't get the Flash. They didn't get the Hal Jordan Green Lantern. Right. But they got Batman. Yeah. Uh, the Batman guys were like, okay, you can use Batman. Right. Um, Den- Denny O'Neill, I guess that was his call. He was, he, was the du- he was the Batman guy at that time. Right. So they sort of found themselves with um, a bunch of also rants. And I guess they didn't even know who they were going to get when they started working on the book. So when they started like brainstorming ideas, they had to focus instead of on big adventures where like, oh, this is something worthy of the Flash. They had to think like, what's going to make this story tick? And it's got to be the personalities and how they interact with each other and sort of the life at the Justice League, like the life of the superhero club. Yeah. Uh, um, and it worked. It's, you know, and even though Justice League seems like a kind of man out of time compared to the gritty zeitgeist, there, there's always kind of a place for the minor league, the minor league doing stuff. Like Bull Durham is a movie, you know, is a baseball movie literally about the minor leagues. And sometimes it's just funny to see the second place guys. The, the plus side to having B-list characters and C-list characters and D-list characters is that for most of these characters, they didn't have other books. So you could do what you wanted with them and those changes mattered where instead of like, like they're not going to, they can't like, Decide you can't Batman. do something traumatic to Superman's mythology. Yeah, if you do that, it has to happen in the Superman books. Right. Uh, like when Grant Morrison does the Justice League later on, they basically somehow just told everyone, like, you got to let him use your big characters. But Grant Morrison then had to work around their big storyline. So the, there's long stretches where like Superman is made of electricity because <laughs> that was his storyline. Yeah. And they're like, okay, so he's made of electricity in the Justice League. That's okay. Uh, uh, Aquaman now has one hand and he wears a beard. Okay, great. He has one hand in this book and he has a beard. Um, so they had to sort of be in constant communication and know what the status quo for these characters was. But for Keith Giffen, it was sort of like nobody else was doing Guy Gardner. No, Blue Beetle's title, I think, was canceled before this or shortly after this started. <laughs> and later on, Booster Gold joins and he also had just been canceled or was just about to be canceled. So like, they picked up a lot of characters that were not successful 
So there's a lot of like, um, yeah, they have a lot of freedom to do what they want with the characters. Yeah. They can sort of be the primary source for most of these characters. And, and because of that, like Blue Beetle's personality is set in this book, not anywhere else. Right. His and DC Guy, personality. Guy Gardner's personality is sort of exaggerated and then set here, I think. Yeah. When he shows up again in Green Lantern comic books, this is the Guy Gardner you see. Yeah. This also spun out of uh, Legends, right? What's it called? Which Legend? Is, yeah, Legends, but I barely remember what that is. So that it was sort of a, there was some fourth world stuff in that. It was by John Byrne or John Byrne. He drew it. He drew it? I couldn't remember if he wrote That's it or what drew it. said it. in this introduction. Somebody else wrote it. Um, so John Byrne drew it and it sort of set up these characters to become the Justice League. Like I remember at the end in the last issue, everyone's like, we should form a team. And like, there's all these shots of like the big guys going, I can't. <laughs> and Blue Beetle yeah. being like, I'd be interested. Um, and then also the Suicide Squad formed out of that. And that was a very popular, cool comic book that everyone's going to say, why aren't you covering that comic book? And I think <laughs> it's because uh, neither of us read it when it came out. I've read it since and it was great. Yeah, because Kevin, Kevin and I are always got our finger on the pulse of society and we went right mm -hmm. to Justice League. Um, yeah, so this spun out of Legends also, which I don't know how popular that storyline was. That comic book was. Um, I couldn't remember it, but um, that doesn't mean anything. Cause yeah, I, don't I read it. it. I think I remember liking it, uh, not yeah. loving it, but liking it. Anyway, that's a lot of setup because, but there's just a lot going on to get to this first issue. Let's get into it. No. Okay. That's our episode. Uh, <laughs> um, um, do we take a break now or just go right into it? We should just go into it and then take a break in a little bit. Right. Yeah. I don't know. We, we, we've got time. Okay. It's a long issue. Got another so, four, four hours left. We should talk one more thing about the cover, I guess. Okay. And that just this cover of them all sort of gathered together, looking a little bit up. Yeah. At the uh, camera. Defiantly, a little kind of tough guy looks. Yeah. And, and uh, it became a thing, like whenever there's a big lineup change or a big status quo shift in this comic book, they just did this cover again. They probably do it like seven times during the run. And since then, it has become like one of those covers that you just get, you just see homaged constantly. It yeah. is very memorable and it is a great cover. And this, a penciler was like a no name at the time. Kevin McGuire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should say the scripter was J.M. DeMatties. Right. The dialogue who, guy. who at that time had never really done a funny book. I don't think. But he's a terrific writer. He had done Craven's last hunt, which is one of Kevin's and mine. Had he done that already? I don't know. <laughs> but it was around this time. I feel like yes. Yeah, he had done like Moon Knight. Um, he had done right? Blood, that vampire, that that story. He'd done a lot of like dramatic, weird stuff. Usually, if I saw James Demattis, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be moody and yeah. like kind of like got a lot of like just kind of a an intense indie <laughs> indie film vibe is what I thought about James Demattis. In '87, he did Craven's Last Hunt. So same year. Um, so he probably did that just before this, I would guess. He probably was working on this and then got pulled There wasn't into... a ton of joke. I mean, that's not a funny story. No. Um, and his Spider-Man stories, so he does a lot of humor stories later on. He did his run for Spectacular Spider-Man, had some humor stories, but his famous stories are always like dark and... Uh, kind of kind of spiritual and sort of hippie and philosophical. He's sort of yeah. like, he's in that Alan Moore world of just like... You know, maybe the Buddha will show up and give Spider-Man advice or something like that. 
Yeah, but he's that great. Never, that never happened. Well, the Buddha's great. Yeah, Buddha's a great. I mean, James Demetrius, who I met, was great. Buddha, oh, okay. I could take or leave. <laughs> well, that, he would like that. Buddha would approve <laughs> of that sort of neutral uh, attitude. Okay, so um, I speak. For, I speak for the Buddha. So I think also you bought this comic. I'm sure of it because I don't think I would have bought it just as I was buying very few comics. I was 12, um, and I was 41. Yeah, that's right. That's our age difference. Mm-hmm. I look terrible. <laughs> um, I don't look that much younger than you, or you look Can great. I, I hate to bring up something sad so early, but this strikes me. This was this was two months after our mother died. This came out, but I do not remember it being so close to that time. I I don't have it. I don't associate it with that at all. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't either. So we would have been reading it like two or three months after that. Yeah, but I don't. Some, I weirdly think of it as earlier. I think of it as like eighty six or eighty five. It's not, but that's that's what I think of it as. Um, I definitely remember reading it because I think you read it and liked it. And then I read it and I was like, Oh, this is a good 12 year old person comic like Watchmen. I could barely get through. Right. A dark Knight returns. It's so many words, but I liked it. Yeah. This was like easy. It was an easy read and it was fun. Even though I didn't recognize anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I knew Batman from Adam West. That was basically it. Well, let's, let's get into it. Yes, sorry, we keep saying let's get into it. Let's actually get into it. Page one. This this issue is called Born Again. Same title of a famous Daredevil miniseries, but no relation to it. That's right. Um, also just a phrase. And um, <laughs> we open on... Um, Only used in Daredevil and in this comic, Born Again. <laughs> um, it opens on uh, Guy Gardner, our petulant, angry Green, uh, Green Lantern, sitting at the end of a conference table with his leg up, looking angry and defiant. Um, yeah. And he's basically getting ready for a meeting and he's ready to take charge in the meeting. I'm declaring myself commander in chief. He's, th- he's, think- he's, pr- he's practicing in his head what he's going to say to people. Yeah. It's sort of great that they got this Green Lantern and not the other ones because Hal Jordan didn't have much personality. Yeah, Hal Jordan's like a good dude, but he's, he's, kind, of a, he's kind of a saltine cracker. There ain't a lot going on. And I'm not sure John Stewart had much personality either back then. That he gets it. They both get personality, but Guy Gardner was filled with personality and that one, that was something they could definitely ramp up to 10. Like this sort of sitting there going, I'm going to be in charge. Such an arrogant move for a superhero. Yeah. His costume is sleeveless. Like he's got black tights underneath, but it's like a sleeveless jacket. And it's like a popped collar. Like a, mm-hmm. It kind of looks like a motorcycle guy from the 50s. Yeah. So he's waiting, and then like the first person to show up for this meeting is is Black Canary, right? Who already is not does not care is not impressed by Guy Gardner and is annoyed by him. Yeah, Black Canary is she's been around. Uh, she's a superhero of long standing, sort of a martial arts expert, and also can uh, has a canary cry like a sonic scream. That's her powers. For those of you that don't know. Yeah, and um, it's this. This book's kind of funny right away. Like she's like she says to guy, "Should have known you'd be here early." He goes, "I'm a nut for punctuality." She goes, "So is Mussolini." Nice to see you too, Black Canary. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good little joke. Yeah, especially for a superhero book like that's more casual than you'd expect from a Justice League conversation, I would think. Yeah, and she, now they're starting to make fun of the reverence that people have for Justice League. She's looking around this headquarters, being like little larger, more up to date. I can still feel the ghosts here hovering. 
But then Guy Gardner is sort of represents the irreverence of this book. And he goes, ooh, yeah. spooky. I bet Rod Serling's around here somewhere too. Do, 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 do. I got to say, 80s comic books love referring to the Twilight Zone. That is something <laughs> that I remember happening a lot. Like a way that you establish a character being irreverent and funny is they hum the Twilight Zone theme. That's like an 80s thing. Um, yeah. And then he references uh, Alan Alda and Sylvester Stallone in the next panel. <laughs> Yeah, she goes, sensitive as ever, aren't you? And he's like, hey, babe, this is the 80s. Alan Alda's out, Sylvester Stallone is in. <coughs> and then it's we get a that, Keith that Giffen uh, eye panel. A big eye panel, which is a classic Keith Giffen thing. And it's a uh, close-up of an eyeball. We'll talk more about Keith Giffen compositions as this podcast goes on, but he's got a very distinct layout strategy. But then our next, our third character is going to show up, our third and fourth. Yeah, they're all showing up on the there's, teleporter. There's they're teleporting people, in. People teleport in like Star Trek. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, technology that you'd think would be um, used for something other than just speeding through exposition, but uh, yeah, that's what we use it for in DC Comics. And so Mr. I, Miracle and Oberon show up. Yeah, I do believe that the teleporters need to be... You need to have a teleporter on both ends at this time. It isn't like you can just teleport anywhere... You can't beam down to a planet. Oh, that's good. That limits its power. I like it. From, from one tube to another. It's like, yes, a, C, but, like uh, a CD um, radio. But Mr. Miracle and Oberon show up. Yeah, Mr. Miracle, the master, the master escape artist, and his little person assistant, Oberon. With, I think he's actually a dwarf. I, I mean, I use that term, but I think that's what he is. He's a dwarf. Okay, so. Yeah. I, um, I hope I'm not wrong on that. I'll say you're right. And um, if they're great Jack Kirby-looking characters. You know, they both have very distinct looks. Oberon is kind of the manager of Mr. Miracle. So he's already thinking about the money opportunities of Mr. Miracle being in Justice League. So page right. three has like Oberon being like, there's not a paying customer alive who won't sag to his knees in awe of the sight of Mr. Miracle, world's greatest escape artist, uh, because of his because of his new standing in this new league. Yes. Um, that's pretty funny. So we have a we have a lot of irreverence, Kevin. We have a lot of irreverence early. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Miracle's sort of a... He's a showbiz character. Yeah, he's like Mr. Hollywood agent. Um, and then... Gar Gardner uh, calls him Sneezy, a reference to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which yeah, irritates Oberon. Yes. Um, and then uh, enters the bottom of page uh, for uh, Captain Marvel, Shazam. Yes. And, and he's already got a very different personality than I've ever seen him anywhere else. Because uh, he says, holy moly, um, which maybe is the thing he says, but he talks much more childlike in this uh, comic. Holy moly than is I'm definitely a to. thing he said in the old Shazam, in the old oh, okay. Captain Marvels. Um, but I think they definitely make him like more of an innocent kid here. Holy moly, people. It's a regular circus out there. Guy Gardner's response, holy moly. <laughs> yeah. But they definitely play up his that. The, so Captain Marvel's big thing is he's a kid who turns into a superhero, um, right? That's right. He's so, like a Billy Batson is like a ten year, a twelve year old or something who the god Shazam gives him the magic word to turn him into a superhero. Yes, uh, and so they kind of steer into that. Like they, his kid personality is on uh, uh, is present when he's Captain Marvel, which wasn't necessarily true in the original Captain Marvel comics, but is true like in the Shazam movie. Yeah. They may, I didn't see it, but I heard they, that was like the main thing of the story of that. That it's like a kid who's a superhero. Yes, I did see it. You should see it. 
Yeah, I heard it was. I heard it was fun. It wasn't like a defiant not seeing it. It was like a lazy didn't get around to it not seeing it. Uh, I'll run out tonight and watch. Go see it right now. Let's take a break while Will goes and sees. No. Um, um, so we're we're already kind of setting up good character games, you know. Like Oberon sees Captain Marvel. He's like, "Hey, nice costume." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so now we have... And Guy Gardner and Captain Marvel are just polar opposites. Right. Shazam is basically this very innocent, well-meaning kid personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, Martian Manhunter and Blue Beetle show up. Right. Martian Manhunter, who his personality is very serious and sort of mm-hmm. humorless and like by the book. And I mean, his entire race of people died <laughs> like Superman's. Yes. While, but he like was teleported away from his planet, I guess, during... Uh, this period when they were all dying or something. Yeah, he was the and only. And he couldn't survivor. get back to Mars and they all died or they were all dead already or something like that. But like basically everyone he knew, including his wife and child, are dead. And he's stranded on Earth where he sort of begrudgingly became a superhero. He's also massively powerful, right? He can like, Very powerful. He can like fly and he's a shapeshifter. Can he like, does he also have telepathy? Like he can like. Yes, he has all the Superman powers. Plus he can shape change. He has telepathy. Uh, he can phase through things. He's he's massively powerful. Yeah. I, I feel um, like he's not supposed to be as strong or as fast as Superman, but I mean, who cares at that point? Um, but he, he's a big he, gun. He's a big gun. And then Blue Beetle, who was like gadget dude, right? He's, he's right. Night Owl from Watchmen. Or Night Owl is based on him, but I mean, he's yeah. like, he's a, he's a gadget guy. Yeah. He has no powers. He didn't even train his whole life for this. He sort of, as an adult met the original blue beetle who had superpowers and agreed to take on his mantle. And so built gadgets to, to do that because he was rich. He's like very smart. And then I guess trained, but he's like a Batman who started in his twenties. Then we have John Jones. Martian Manhunter's name is John Jones. That's like the English approximation of his Martian name. That's right. Happens to kind of sound like John Jones. That's what he calls him. Right. So he's John, John Jones, uh, but he, his, uh, when he's in his secret identity, he's John Jones. <laughs> <laughs> There's like more apostrophes in the Martian version. Of uh, Martian Manhunter was also a member of the most recent Justice League, which is referenced on the next page, which was uh, often called Justice League Detroit, which was like Martian Manhunter and a bunch of for real C-listers, uh, Gypsy and I think like Vixen and Vibe. And it was not a very popular Justice League. I mean, some people loved it, but it was not it a well-selling Justice League. It wasn't a huge hit. Yeah. yeah. And they have just died recently. So we see John Jones calling up their images and being like, you don't know what we've endured, what we've lost. And it's this kind of sad moment. It's given almost a full page. But then Guy Gardner makes a little Green Lantern gavel, bangs the table and says, now that we're all here, I'm calling this meeting to order. And then we cut away. You cut away. I think cut this away. is a good time to take a break, Well. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. 
reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. Uh, so when we when we cut back, Kevin, we're going to get to a new character who's very important to this iteration of Justice League, Maxwell Lord. And this character, since this run, has undergone drastic, drastic changes. Oh, really? Which I don't oh. think you're much aware of. He's going to be in the new Wonder Woman movie as a villain. Oh, oh he's, he was always kind of villainous. Yes. He was always oh. not that good of a guy, but he's a good guy. And he, he is a good guy, but it's like... You never know. He's a manipulator. He's a puppet master. He pulls the strings. That's right. Uh, and at this point, we don't know anything about him. We see like his his name on the door, Maxwell Lord the Fourth, and he is like sitting back watching like twenty TVs, which is always what you do when you are uh, plotting. Yeah, that's always a sign of kind of an evil villain. You got a bunch of TVs in front of you, getting all he's, the information at once. He's definitely being portrayed here as a villain. Vill- villains multitask is what that trope tells us. Yes. Um, so he's, he's watching all the footage of Justice League. We're eventually going to find out that he is the mastermind behind this iteration of Justice League. I don't even remember what his motivations end up being or what his means are, but I Making remember that money. He, he's kind of like the boss of them. Yeah. Um, he, I think he sees there's no Justice League and he sees an opportunity to make money off of it um, from nations and the, and the United Nations and the world at large. So he basically, he sees it forming a sort of gets himself involved so that he can work with them, which, spoiler alert, works. I mean, eventually he's like the manager of the Justice League. Yeah. Which is a thing that they've never had. He's not responsible for getting them together. He takes advantage of them getting together. That's right. Okay. I I know he ends, yeah, I I just remember how he ends up being. So we go back to the Justice League and Black Canary and Guy Gardner are really going at it. She's had it with his attitude. Oberon gets involved. Well, uh, before that, when he's watching the TVs, he's writing down Justice League of America, like you would write down, you know, uh, Will Godot, because you're imagining you marrying uh, Gal Godot. That's right. Um, and he's written down Justice League of America, and then he crosses off America. So it's just Justice League. Yep. He's removing the America from Justice, because up to this point, it's always been Justice League American, and this title is called, at this point, just Justice League. And... Um... Yeah, so he is already has visions and plans for these dudes. Yeah, but then we do. We cut back to the Justice League, and Guy Gardner and Black Canary are forehead to forehead screaming at each other. Yeah, and uh, then Oberon tries to get involved. That's enough. You apologize to the lady right now and then sit down before I, and Guy Gardner makes a big broom with his ring and sweeps Oberon away. Yeah, which is an d- insulting way to uh, knock somebody over. A broom is really demeaning. Yes, if it was a fist and you knocked him aside, that would be respect. But a little broom, give me a break. So then Black Canary yeah. takes a swing at him, but he blocks it with his arm and yeah. kind of flirts with her. Yes, he, like with a sneer, this is disgusting, basically what he's doing. Yeah. He says, first they tell me I'm insufferable, then they beg me to take them home. Yeah, and then she's like, why well, you slimy, disgusting, and Martian Menner gets involved. Stop this now. But he can't even stop Green Lantern. Green Lantern is basically just knocking everybody over. Uh, like uh, Captain Marvel, Shazam is just watching going, what's going on? This shouldn't be how the Justice League acts. Yeah, there's a good joke here in the top of page um, 
uh, I don't know what it is. It's 17 in my compilation, but I have a feeling it's like not that. Yeah. But I don't um, have page numbers on this either in this collection. It's 16 in my trade. Okay, 16. And um, Captain Marvel is like... But it's definitely not 16 because that's including introductions uh, and everything like that. Okay, yeah. Well, at the top of some page in the first issue, Captain Marvel is imploring this fight to stop. And he says, I think you're being overly willful, Guy. After all, we're a team. We have to work together in harmony if we're ever going to... Guy Gardner interrupts him. Tell me something. Do you drink warm milk before you go to bed at night? And he's like, I don't know what that's got to do with anything. <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. I think that's really funny. Yeah. Good joke. It's, a, it's a little, it's a little Stan Lee-ish, the humor. Yeah, it is kind of Stan. This is kind of like a Marvel book in a way. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a personality like, first book. Yeah, characters first. Um I also love Oberon then like tackles Guy Gardner and puts his hand, you know, kind of gets him in a headlock and little Oberon on Guy Gardner looks kind of, uh, it's kind of a fun contrast. And then Oberon says, face it, Marvel, you can't reason with an ape like this. Only thing he understands is a well-placed knuckle sandwich. Like knuckle sandwich is a great old timey term. Like it fits Oberon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Martian man, uh, rather Mr. Miracle is not even getting in this fight, but Oberon is in it. Yeah. Also, can John Jones just end this right now? But uh, he tried to, and uh, Guy Gardner knocked him aside. Well, this is a ring. Um, so then, as they're fighting, enter the final two—not the final two, two more members: Doctor Fate and Batman. The final two members of this issue. Uh, Doctor Light has yet to come, but she doesn't join. Oh, okay. Uh, she's on the cover, I guess, is why I say. Yes, that. that's right. So Dr. Fate and Batman show up now. They're walking in just expecting to have a normal little meeting and they come in and they see a full-on fist fight with everybody, which is pretty yeah. funny. Batman says, it never fails. Put more than two of them in the same room together and uh, and then there's a panel of this, them all brawling. Everybody's full out fighting. <laughs> uh, Dr. Fate offers to stop it with magic. Uh, yeah, I can easily put an end to this. And he raises his hands and he's starting to like have some magic energy begins crackling around his fingers. And Batman just goes, no, allow me. It's my Kevin it's Conroy. Pretty good. And then just the presence of Batman walking in, they all sort of stop and look and he gets right up in Gardner's face, goes sit down. And we see Gardner's face change from angry to sort of resigned. And then he, he gives up. And this is the thing Kevin McGuire was great at facial expressions. I mean, he's great at everything, but facial expressions, uh, he's next level. Yeah, it's, uh, it actually kind of reminds me of the uh, V for Vendetta guy. Look, there's a lot of these like close-ups and the faces changing. And I wish Dave Lloyd, maybe? Yeah, definitely Lloyd. Um, I think Dave Gibbons. So I feel, are we mixing those names? Are I might be. Those names? I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up as I, as I talk, but uh, it's, it's a Batman always is kind of a trump card and, and the, he, he is always allowed. He's the high status character. Yeah, nobody stands up to Batman, and it works. Everybody sits down, including Guy Gardner, and Batman takes charge and starts the meeting. Yeah. Guy Gardner's still, like, mouthing off, but Batman's con taking control of this Justice League. David Lloyd was the artist of V for Vendetta. Um, I guess Alan Moore liked working with Dave's. Yeah, ugh. That guy wouldn't work with a non-Dave ever. <laughs> you can't name one non-Dave he worked with. There's not one. Um, so there's a meeting now, Batman's called it to order and they all, they all look like kind of petulant kids who are bored at the meeting, like drumming their fingers and not really paying attention. They look, you know? Yeah. 
uh, Black Canary's been put on monitor duty and she's sort of complaining that she's just sitting there staring at a computer console. Blue that Beetle. Look, they're very 80s computer consoles. Yeah. Um, just because they have superpowers doesn't mean they get new editions of operating systems any earlier. Uh, Guy Gardner's grumbling about Batman and Mr. Miracle sort of agrees. He doesn't like how angry Batman is, but he likes Batman more than Guy Gardner. Yeah. Um, but they've settled in. So we cut away to the other plot of this issue, which is starting at the United Nations. Yes. And this is where Dr. Light in her civilian identity, which I don't know what her name is. <laughs> That's right. Dr. Kimio Hoshi, I think, as I'm, I'm reading on the next page. Okay. And, um, <laughs> that was just a guess. That'd be impressive. Yeah, I just picked a Japanese name out of the book, but uh, <laughs> wow, all right. She uh, she is um, she's in her civilian identity. She somehow has something to do with the United Nations. Um, yeah, she's she about has to this, address like, the General Assembly, so she's kind of a bigwig, and she has like a signal device that somebody just gave her. Yeah, and it's beeping, and she can't get it to stop beeping, and it's, it's driving her crazy. And there's a flashback to it being given to her. Uh, and somebody gives it to her and says, I'm offering you charter membership in the newly reformed Justice League. And she's holding it to consider joining the team. But we don't see who that person is. But it's Max but yeah. Lord, right? We just don't know that for sure. Yes, right? Max Lord gave her the device. We don't know that. Um, he has not been introduced in this comic yet. Um, yeah. But he has asked her to join. He has no authority to do that. <laughs> That's how deals are made, baby. <laughs> I think I would do great in Hollywood. So uh, Dr. Then, Light leaves the restroom. She's got her little signal device. And there is some kind of like three thugs have just made their way into the United Nations. And these, oh, and guys are, these guys are just the, the look of these guys is choice. Uh, one's got camo pants and red boots. Yeah. Um, they one look guy's like, got a headband. Yeah, they look like either part of a mystery-solving Saturday morning cartoon gang or possibly a gang of roughs that Chuck Norris rounds up to go get some MIAs back from Afghanistan. Yeah, these are guys or, who fight Chuck Norris for sure. Yeah, or they're, uh, you know, the people that Arnold Schwarzenegger takes out, you know, when Arnold goes to like a punk rock club to get his daughter out of some tough <laughs> hands or something. Um, or maybe they're pro wrestlers, you know. Un the undercard, yeah. the undercard event at a at a, at a SmackDown, <laughs> uh, but they're 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 really kind of funny looking. But they're taking the whole United Nations hostage, and they're doing it. They're terrorists. They're terrorists. It turns out they're really colorfully dressed terrorists, and they are successfully got the United Nations under under hostage. That's not the correct grammar, but that's what's happened. But before they take hostage, Doctor Light reaches into her purse and turns on the signal device. That's right. Um, and so at the Justice League headquarters, they're getting an alert. Priority one, members alert, Dr. Light. And, um, it's kind of funny. They're like, we're, I'm, you know, uh, Black Canary is like, I'm receiving a priority one alert. And Batman's like, from who? All our members are here. She's like, from yeah. Dr. Light. But Batman knows Dr. Light, so he wants to take the call. <laughs> Batman is never flustered. He's like, wait, from who? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Batman was just talking about how they wanted the team to be low profile and do some small missions first to sort of establish themselves. But now there is a priority one alert at the United Nations. Yes, yeah, so he says so much for keeping a low profile. And he's thinking Dr. Light. So we yeah. know that Batman's kind of cooking up something. But um, Guy Gardner's ready to jump into fighting right away. Batman stops him. He says, we do this my way. Dr. Fate, Captain Marvel, flying ahead. But stay out of sight. Act only if it's absolutely necessary. 
the rest of us will follow in Blue Beetle's bug, which is the <laughs> ship he flies, and it's yeah. really cool. We yeah. can use its telecommunication telecommunication system to get a better handle on the situation. Gardner, where are you going? And Guy Gardner was assuming he'd fly with the guys who could fly. Yeah. He says, with fate and marvel. And Batman goes, uh-uh. Gardner, why the hell not? And Batman's response is just, because I said so. Uh, the next page is from the he's, television he's news. got interview. Guy Gardner healed. Yeah, he's got him. Yeah. Batman has control of Guy Gardner. It's pretty fun. Uh, but yes, then the next page, go ahead. The next page is like the view of the United Nations from the television news point of view. Whenever there's a lot of TV screens on a page, I think of The Dark Knight Returns. And this is just like a year after Dark Knight. So I wonder if everybody in comics is like hot to like emulate Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. It's definitely, I think Keith Giffen does a lot, but he definitely, I don't know if he was doing it before Dark Knight Returns or not. I mean, the way Kevin McGuire is doing it, like with the text of the what is being said on the television just above the screen in empty kind of white space looks very Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, and so these are high stakes. Compared to some later lighthearted stories, we got a guy with a bomb strapped to his chest in the United Nations and the superheroes are coming in to stop him. This is some classic superhero, supervillain stuff. Yeah, these comics are mostly remembered as being very comedic and silly. Like there's definitely adventures with get rich quick schemes and ridiculous concepts but these early issues like they had missions they fought villains uh they just made jokes while doing it there is like really funny there's a really funny thing on the next page with captain marvel and batman uh do you see kevin in panels three and four um, two, two three and four i was not on that page yet uh uh yes i see it you're talking about captain marvel is talking about dr fate Dr. Fate has just vanished, and the, Ma the Martian Manhunter observes that. Batman, I don't see Dr. Fate. Batman goes, where the hell is he? And Captain Marvel goes, well, uh, he, um, he uh, said you'd understand. Understand <laughs> what, says Batman. And Captain Marvel's like, and then he just disappeared. <laughs> uh, so that's a very frustrating first mission. <laughs> Um, there's a cool thing that happens right before that where Batman asks Captain Mar uh, Mr. Miracle if the bomb looks real. Like oh, yeah. he's got this expert in traps and Mr. Miracle's like, I, I, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know all there is to. And Batman just goes, will it detonate? And Mr. Miracle goes, yes, I think it will. It's just cool to see like these sort of characters that don't have strong uh, uh, I don't know, Q rating for lack of another term. Uh, use their skills like their skills are useful yes they are they are competent and they are good um but it's kind of a surprise because they're sort of yeah they're sort of these yeah this the junior varsity dc characters uh batman makes guy gardner put like a barrier around the united nations so if it explodes nobody else gets hurt um, and he's mad about it he wants to be in on the action but he does it and then inside the united nations our main villain is in prime supervillain pose. Yeah. A Hitler-like pose as, as he addresses the United Nations with one fist clenched, the other hand extended out over the crowd as he, like, lays out his demands. Yeah. I mean, these are these are diehard villains. Yeah. If diehard came out a few years earlier. <laughs> this is the non-Norwegian diehard crew. Um, he's, standing, he's standing up for the common man. He's... They're here to make a point. These are basically Bernie Sanders supporters who are here saying that the 99% are being ignored, but they're doing it with violence, which I know Bernie Sanders would not do, but. Yeah. 
Um, it, uh, they have the intensity of Bernie Sanders' Twitter support. And great. So and political we've gotten. That's our, that's our new jam. We're going to make a lot of comments on the political situation, yeah. and we're going we're gonna to get into it. Wait till we really skewer Elizabeth Warren next episode. <laughs> I'm going to go big on Andrew Yang coming up. So um, Dr. Light is sort of hamstrung. She's amongst the crowd. She can't use her powers because she doesn't want to endanger everybody who's got guns pointed at him right now. Uh, meanwhile, Captain Marvel, Batman, and Black Canary are making short work of the terrorists. They're just taking them down easy. Uh, Blue Beetle's stuck in the ship board. He's like, as they intercept, as as the as Batman, Captain Marvel, and Black Canary take out guards, Blue Beetle has like somehow hacked into the radios they're using to talk to each other. So when somebody's missing at their post, Blue Beetle fills in for it. Yeah. You know, so like when somebody says, how we doing checkpoint one, but checkpoint one has been knocked out by Batman, Blue Beetle from his ship chimes in and goes, checkpoint one, all clear. Yeah, very useful, but also Blue Beetle kind of wants to be throwing punches. He's a Ditko character. He wants to punch. He's got a thought balloon here. Geez, you'd think I'd get something a little more challenging to do. I got the swell costume, some great moves. I should be out there punching and hitting, striking terror into the heart of evil doers. At the very least, I should be leaping over tall buildings in a single bound. And then he goes, checkpoint two, all clear. <laughs> God, this is embarrassing. It's really yeah. funny. Yep. Uh, and that, and then we cut back to the heroes inside the United Nations, and Batman says to Martian Manhunter, they're so poorly trained, it's pathetic. And aside from that bomb, their equipment is substandard and outdated. John Jones goes, you say there's more to this than meets the eye? Batman, possibly. Like what? Well, actually, I think he might be talking to Mr. Miracle. I don't know who he's talking to now. He's in such silhouette. I'm not. Oh, Captain Marvel? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's Mr. Miracle. You're right. I thought it was, uh, I said John Jones initially. I was wrong. You're right. You're right. It's Mr. Miracle. Uh, Martian Manhunter turns invisible and goes and talks to Dr. Light. Dude can turn invisible too? Yeah, he can do it all, man. Crazy. He's the vision. He has the vision's power set from uh, um, Marvel. Yeah. Because uh, the vision, I guess, can, can the vision turn invisible? I think he's more powerful. Vision's not a telepath or invisible, but in a lot of ways he's similar. Yeah, Vision could figure it out. If you if you say, hey, Vision, figure out a way to be invisible, he'd, he'd put something together. Okay, good, good. All right. Um, okay, so now they're ready. There's some plan, and Batman swoops in, extends his wings, and goes, boo, scaring the main terrorists. And then Dr. Light flashes a big beam of light, blinding everybody, and then Green Gardener knocks everybody out. So everyone's unconscious, and nobody gets hurt. Oh, no, but the main guy with his bomb is left. Yeah. And he basically says, I'm going to detonate it. Um, and Batman tells uh, everyone to evacuate the room. He's like, this guy's going to kill himself? Fine. Let's get everyone out of here. Let him blow up the building. Uh, and Guy Gardner hates that. Evacuate. Let him be. I know you were stupid bats, but I never knew you were this stupid. Now get out of my way so I can rip this moron's lungs out. I'm going to. And Batman scolds him. Do. As you're told. And I will say this about Keith Giffen or Jam DeMatties. I love like the balloon placement in these comics means a lot to me. Like each do as you're told is each in a separate balloon, yeah. which really helps how you, how it's being delivered in a way that I haven't seen in many other comics before this for sure. And I love it. So, um, yeah, the, the cadence is very clear. It's really cool. There's, a lot, there's rhythm in the dialogue, both in how it's written and how it's presented. Mm -hmm. 
So they, everyone just leaves the guy alone in a room. They don't try to subdue him. They just walk out of the building and they don't see him. And, um, they, you know, since everybody's safe, they consider their mission over. And then we see the last page of this issue has a news report that reveals that he killed himself or, you know, he's dead to a gunshot. And yeah, so it was supposed to be his bomb would go off if he died. It was like triggered to his heart. So if he died, the bomb would go off. So he shot himself, but the bomb did not go off. Yeah. And uh, then we find out this guy's not a terrorist. He's a former mental patient, a drifter. In other words, this looks like a setup that somebody had arranged all of this. Yep. Uh, we cut away to the last three panels and the TV reporter saying, over this dramatic reemergence of the Justice League of America. And, and Max, Max Lord, Lord who we have not been it. introduced to directly yet. We saw his name. It says, not Justice League of America, just the Justice League, period. Oh, well. And then says to himself, like he's just talking to himself. Imagine poor Collins shooting himself like that and his bomb failing to detonate. Imagine that. Maybe I should have given him the firing pin. So now we know Max Lord set up these terrorists. He set this up. But in a way that nobody would get hurt. Yeah, he gave them a bomb that, although they had guns, but. Uh, they brought their own guns. He gave yeah. them a bomb that wouldn't work. He didn't give um, them anything else. I see. So the story here is that he set up a, something that looked like a threat, but it wasn't really dangerous just to get the Justice League out into the public. He wanted them to have a dramatic first appearance. Not, he didn't want them to do a Batman's way of sort of on the, on the sly, sort of saving the day and then building themselves up. And that's the end of our first issue. Yeah. And it's pretty bad. I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great. I love this issue. Uh, really I love these fun. early issues. I like, even though I really love the comedic issues that follow, I really love these early issues that balance it a little more uh, uh, gently. Yeah, they're a little more half action, half character games um, in the early ones. Uh, yeah, I, I remember them fondly. And the art's a big part of it. I really love Kevin McGuire's art. And um, I'm flipping ahead to the next. Yeah, it's just really fun. Yeah, I've read um, the first three. Or, I've reread rather the first three or four issues, and there's some really really fun stuff coming up. Um, they set the table really well here. There's already a lot of what's going to make this series successful. The characters are having fun with each other. There is good action. There's moments yeah. of great competence. Um, the dialogue is fun and interesting. It yeah. sounded it sounded like a really unique comic compared to every other superhero comic that was out at the time. It really stood it out. It, it certainly feels like they don't know what to do with Doctor Fate. They brought him in and then immediately had him vanish. <laughs> He's, he's sort of too weirdly powerful. <laughs> he can sort of end everything maybe too fast, um, you know, with the snap of the fingers, and that's not so handy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I really, I really like it. Uh, any favorite moments? I'm going to say my favorite moment is Captain Marvel saying, "He said you'd understand," and then he just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think my, my favorite moments, uh, maybe too easy a pick, but when Batman walks across the room of everyone fighting and everyone just stops, just stop. Yeah. It's fun. It's a good way to establish his, his, the respect they have for him and yeah. the fear they have of him, even though and he's Bat the only guy in the room with uh, one of the few guys in the room with no powers. <laughs> one of like three guys. No? <laughs> now that I realize, yeah, Mr. Miracle doesn't have powers, right? Neither does Blue Beetle. Neither does Oberon. Yeah. Okay, never mind. He's one of many people in this room who have no powers. <laughs> but like, there's something about Batman. He's always, he's great. He's just, this is a fun, ba Batman bouncing off other superheroes is a really fun dynamic. And the, the dynamic with him and Gardner is great. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Blue Beetle and Booster Gold 
become a duo in this thing of kind of two little like real just like juvenile idiots it's really fun yes martian manhunter becomes their dad it's a lot of fun stuff coming up not really their dad but sort of like their dad personality yeah um well that's a it's a great which uh I think we should do that from now. We'll just pick our favorite moments. Since we don't have Stanley doing the dialogue, we don't need to do dialogue and art. I think we can just do favorite moments. Great. Um, do we have any uh, mail we need to go over? We've got tons of mail, Will. Oh, fun. Um, so how many How many do you want is the question. We can do let's, a few today we'll and start a with few 100. later. A hundred? Okay. Yeah. Well, that, you called my bluff. We have less than a hundred. I knew it. I knew it. Um, a lot of these are going to be discussing our last season, which was the Hulk. Um, so in fact, most of the ones we, maybe all the ones we do today. Uh, first we have one from Liam Astley. Okay. Uh, he wrote a a very nice email. He talked about how he's been reading the immortal Hulk because I talk about it a lot. He's really enjoying it. Oh, that's fun. Um, and he pitches that we should do the secret wars, uh, sometime as a season. No, I'm 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 a, I'm into that. I like Secret here's, Wars. Here's his pitch. Okay, I've never actually reread it since I was a kid in the '80s, and I'm sure it's not aged well. But I suspect I'd have a lot of nostalgic charm to it. Plus, you've got Spidey, the FF, and the Hulk in there, so it links back to your previous runs, and all the other characters in it would give you a jumping-off point to talk about the other parts of the Marvel universe. He ain't wrong. He's, he's real smart. Uh, we should have done that. We should have done that. We blew it. His subject is Milksop Missive. I love it. A lot of Milksop references in these emails. Um, We have another email from John TK. Okay. He asks uh, if Happy Hogan, who is the um, supporting character in Iron Man. Yes. Were hit with gamma rays. Do you think you would become Hulk Hogan? (laughs) Um, You'd want to think so. I imagine... (laughs) That happy Hogan with gamma rays instead become like, you know, get, the gamma rays tend to emphasize something like Hulk got muscles, leader got mm-hmm. brains. I think he'd be spleen man who would be like exceptionally good at cleaning his own blood. You know, he could clean his blood with the might of like 10 dudes. Um, he also pitches, uh, inspired by your Beatles podcast, the idea of the Fantastic Four getting the powers of Fantastic Four, which I think we've done before. I don't know what episode, though, to refer him to. Do yeah. you remember which powers we gave each Beatle? I, I don't remember. But then then somebody gave us a Fantastic Four cartoon or an animated thing where the Beatles really did have the Fantastic Four powers. Like the Fabtastic Four, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, that's what he refers to it too in his email here. And uh, I remember liking what they did better than whatever I did. Um, uh, we have one from Christopher Marr. Good. Um, he, so he's got a couple of things in here. He uh, talks a lot about um, the Hulk in the movies, which we talked about in another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to get into that right now. But then he asked this question, and I, uh, I think you'll find the answer to this interesting, Will. Okay. Uh, Thunderbolt Ross apparently saves Rick Jones from a missile blast. This was an issue five or six, I think maybe six, uh, which mirrors how Banner got his powers. What would yeah. a Thunderbolt Ross Hulk look like? Oh, that's really fun. Well, it happened. Oh, so in the, I don't know when this happened, but there was a, a story written by Jeff Loeb with a Red Hulk who's going around beating up all the other Gamma characters. Okay. And um, it turns out that that Red Hulk was Thunderbolt Ross. Oh. And he had more control over his Hulk. Like he wasn't a, a rageless machine. 
he's more She-Hulk, but Thunderbolt Ross is an angry guy himself. Right. So there's something going on there. And he was basically became a Hulk to defeat the Hulk. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I think it was dumb, mostly. It was dumb, okay. But then it was followed by a run by this writer, Jeff Parker, with art by Gabriel Hardman. Uh, both are excellent. One's an excellent writer. One's an excellent artist. And it was an amazing, amazingly good run. Yeah. Uh, and it makes me like the Red Hulk just because someone told a great story about it. And it was basically about this Red Hulk being uh, uh, Captain America basically was like sending him on missions to redeem himself. Like instead of sending this guy to jail for all the awful things he did, he's like, you're this powerful sergeant uh, or general rather. Yeah. Um, you should, I'm going to give you a chance to be the, be the army man hero you want to be. Right. And it was great. So it did happen. All right. And he's a jerk. I was going to say the gamma rays would make him super liberal. Like the tiny part of his like personality that's liberal, he would come out and be like just the greenest, you know, supporter of Alexander uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez and like would be going door to door, begging people to get solar panels installed. Like this big, you know, Thunderbolt, Hulk-sized mm-hmm. Thunderbolt Ross would be like petitioning for Greenpeace. No, that's he just turns red. Okay, that makes more sense. But weirdly doesn't have his mustache. You gotta have the mustache. Oh, the mustache it. fades away when he becomes the Hulk for some reason. Be, I think just because it would be a dead giveaway of who he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Nate Treese writes us. Uh, mm-hmm. he, ta- he talks about Peter David has a Hulk omnibus that came out roughly when our season was wrapping up. Uh, and Peter David had a long um, run on the Hulk. He yeah. asks how I feel about Peter David's Hulk run, and okay. I love it. Okay, yes, you're a big fan. It is maybe probably my favorite Hulk run, um, and it is my favorite Hulk run. There's a lot of other Hulk runs I like. Greg Pak's Hulk run is good, and um, the current Immortal Hulk run is great, but Peter David's will always hold a special place in my heart. This is the first book I collected other than Spider-Man. Oh, interesting. Um, and then he asks if we were aware that Tyrannus... The um, underground Roman uh, emperor uh, appears as a villain in the Game Boy Advance Hulk movie tie-in. I did not know that. I did not know that. And I'm not surprised I didn't know that. I I am also not surprised that that's not in my brain. (laughs) Was he wearing shorts? That's what I want to know. Was he still bare-legged? Was he still dressed the same? Yeah. I hope it's better than bare-legged, yeah. You better, if you want to do... Classic Kirby villain. He better be in some shorts, baby. Uh, Jesse Glasby emails us mm-hmm. uh, and brings up the fact that the Metal Master showed up in the background of a comic book, a comic book that I think I read, but I just didn't notice this. There's a Black Bolt miniseries or maybe a, a maxi series. I don't know. It ran for a short time in 2017. And there's a prison that Black Bolt gets thrown into, and Metal Master is one of the prison, is in the prison there. Yeah. I, so I'm I glad, assume I'm glad, glass bars, I assume. I'm glad he got caught. Yeah. Sent back to his planet full of incredibly superpowered beings. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else we got, Will? Um, well, if, if that's the end of the mail, I think that's it. No, we got more. Okay. Um, uh, I'm skipping a few. Here's one from Thomas Franzum. Good. Um, uh, have either of you... At one time or another, tried to create your own superhero characters. If so, what were their powers, weaknesses, and personalities? 
Were they truly original or just ripoffs of existing <laughs> properties? He's moving into critic pretty fast. <laughs> yes, or he doesn't like our great characters. <laughs> Give us a chance, you know. Um, I, I have tried to think of superheroes and what I would do. Um, uh, Kevin, do you have some? Uh, I mean, the closest thing I have is Captain Galapagos. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Which when is Kevin a comedic a- character that I drew a mini comics of who was a hero who fast forwarded through his origin story. So he had powers, but he wasn't aware of what they were. So he could not <laughs> access them. And he mostly just gets beat up a lot. It's really funny. It's, it's very ambush buggy actually. Yeah. There is a joke in, uh, I, I, I was, as I drew this comic, I, I, there's a joke in one issue. And then at some point I redrew the first three issues because I cared that they looked so bad. Not yes. that I was great even then. And when I was redoing it, um, I noticed that a joke I'd put in there was in a comic I'd reread recently and it was an ambush bug joke. Oh. <laughs> There's basically a scene where he is in hell and he leaves via the exit. Oh, right, right, right. I and I was like, oh, I stole this joke. I don't even remember it. I didn't <laughs> remember it. I stole it. <laughs> I loved Captain Galapagos. I remember being really impressed when you were a, a kid doing those because you were like one or something, right? No, I was one years old. Yeah. Um, no, I was like in college. <laughs> when you, when you uh, did or, Captain or I, Galapagos? I think I started them in high school and then did some more after college. I think that's right. And um, I redrew them after college uh, in my slightly better art style. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that. That was the character I created. I never went as far as Kevin to actually write something down, but I, I kind of in my head outlined a girl who had power over all of music that she'd be able to like just play any instrument and could instantly understand music and could even like, um, or, but it was bigger than that, all of sound. Like she basically was like a sound elemental, the way like Swamp Thing is like a plant elemental. Um, we and, we and it was also... Like uh, a woman on. becoming... It was like a teenage girl who was being set up to become a god of sound, but she did not realize that. Uh, and I kind of had it in my head I was going to write it as a story or something, but I never sort of got it down. But You and I also brainstormed one also about a teenage girl who gets powers and then becomes a superhero to impress another hero. I, do, I don't remember this. Um, some of I think we brainstormed it together at some point. Um, and so, like, I think we just gave her... Uh, either gravity powers. Uh, I think yeah. it was just gravity powers. I so like she's super, powers. super powerful. Um, but she was only becoming a superhero to impress this like hero who was basically powerless. He was basically like Batman. Yeah. And but she was way better than Batman. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so she would quickly have to come into her own and realize, you know, I need to do this for me, not for this guy or whatever. That was sort of the the start. We didn't really write it or anything. That's an yeah. idea you and I talked about one time. Hmm. That sounds like a pretty good idea. Yeah, I remember it because I like it. Yeah. I've go- I've doodled that character around every once in a while. I think I do remember your doodles of it now that, now that we talk about it. Yeah. Um, and the, the guy she probably had a crush on was very Blue Beetle-ish because he was Batman, but not a great Batman. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a mellow, like a subpar yeah. Batman. And it's like a world without supervillains. So if you had a superpower like that, you'd be... Very powerful. Right. Anyway, those are some ideas, Thomas. Um, if you use them, we'll sue you. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Anyone who, uh, DC? Actually, go ahead. 
Nah, I will sue you even if you don't use them. <laughs> You're served, Thomas Friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, somebody, uh, Jay Lyon, sent us this email. Mm-hmm. In search of more money, Disney realizes their ownership of Marvel and the Muppets can lead to the ultimate corporate crossover as they come to you for advice. Which Marvel character would be played by which Muppet? This is a great uh, idea. He wants Bunsen. He pitches uh, Bunsen Honeydew as Bruce Banner and Beaker as the Hulk. <laughs> Who are the Muppet FF? Who is Spider Muppet? These are all, first of all, Bunsen Honeydew into Beaker is pretty great. Yeah. Um, the FF Muppets. Well, I guess uh, I'll make Fozzie Bear the thing. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, that makes Kermit probably Mr. Fantastic and Miss Piggy the Invisible, the invisible woman. woman. Yes. And so we just need and a Gonzo's human Gonzo's the Human, Gonzo's Torch. The human Torch. Yeah, that's easy. That's easy. But who's Spider Muppet? Who's sort of the scooter? <laughs> uh, who's Robin? Sort of the, Robin, the uh, Kermit's nephew. Who's sort of the sad sack, or the one whose ne- things don't work? I mean, Fozzie Bear could also be Spider Man. Um, things never work out for him, and he's a bit, and he's a jokester, and people would be really annoyed by him. Um, doesn't seem quite noble enough. Uh, yeah. Uh, who Grover, else? Grover would be a really funny Spider Man. <laughs> he would be a very good Spider Man. Um, Bert would be a terrible Spider-Man. Yeah. How about Ernie's? Ernie's too kid-like. Okay. Okay. Let's go back He's to too, the like, I don't think things would How about that guy him. who threw the boomerang fish? Is he a good Spider-Man? There you go. That's the one. <laughs> um, He's already kind of a superhero. He's got that ability. How about uh, Ross the dog? I... Uh, would it be know, Rolf the it dog? Doesn't, doesn't seem right. Doesn't no, seem right. Rolf, Rolf feels almost like uh, uh, Sam Eagle's Captain America, right? He's got to be. How about Waldorf and Statler together are Spider-Man? Like one suit encapsulates both of them and they have to coordinate it together. Um, uh, the, the problem is like there's a couple of great characters. Like Honeydew could also be Tony Stark. <laughs> Kermit's got to be Spidey, really. Kermit is Spidey. Yeah, Kermit is Spider-Man. Because yeah, he's always uh, worried about the show and everything else like that. He's not. It's he is funny too. He's funny and he's kind of guilt ridden and he would kind of notice things like, geez, a lot of these villains have whatever problems, whatever. You could do it. Um, uh, Cookie Monster. <laughs> that's that's the Hulk. That's the Hulk. Yeah, that's the Hulk. Uh, Will so, Co- animal animals the Hulk, of course. Yes, yes, yes. We have a lot of Hulks. They're all hulks. They're all yeah. insane. Um, Will Cobe uh, talked about how we like the new Spider-Man game. He goes, I thought you might like the older Hulk game. I mm. played it quite a bit when it first came out. It's an open world. You can do stupid stuff like rip a car in half and use the halves <laughs> as gauntlets. It's called mm, the fun. Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction. And he's probably right now that we're big gamers. Yeah, I'm still playing games because of Spider-Man. Uh, I'm burning through these just because we have a bunch, Will. Okay. Um, Megan Jarcho. Uh-huh. Jarchow. I think it's Megan yeah. Jarchow. Uh, we've, we've, we've pronounced almost every last name incorrectly on this that's podcast. That's right. Uh, Take it away, Kevin Hinn. She, she uh, recommends uh, Anna Ferris's podcast, Unqualified. She interviewed Stan Lee on it, episode Ooh. number 59. I've downloaded it already. I haven't listened to it because I haven't commuted since the oh coronavirus changed the world. Yeah. That's a great recommendation. I'm definitely going to listen to that. That's extremely yeah. cool. Once you said that, I was like, downloaded? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you Anna Ferris is a good interviewer. I, I've liked her in interviews, I know. 
Uh, it's so much fun listening to him talk about the Marvel characters. It's such a treat. Hope you check it out. And we are checking it out, Megan. Checking Thank that you. Out. Thank you. Uh, Taylor Weston. Uh, I've thought comics were dumb my whole life until about three <laughs> years ago when I discovered the graphic novels or comic series. Not sure which is the right term. There's no right term. There's no right term. Uh, why the Last Man and DMZ. No, oh, okay. Uh, why read, the Last I read, Man is. I read a good portion of Why the Last Man and I loved it. Yeah, Why the Last Man is great by Brian Vaughn. DMZ is by Brian Wood. Sort of a problematic comic book writer <laughs> um, for uh, Me Too reasons. Yeah. In his um, personal but, life or in the in the plots? Uh, in his personal life. Oh, okay. Um, but DMZ was his like big hit okay, from Vertigo. Yeah. Uh, I was enthralled by these and began devouring graphic novels like this. Then I found your show and discovered the magic of classic comics. And even oh. though I'm having a blast listening uh, all about classic Marvel books, I still prefer to read non-superhero one-off single story books, which mm -hmm. is fine. Totally fine. Uh, my yeah. question is, are there any non-superhero books that you enjoy? Series oh. or single books, classic or new? And the answer is yes, a lot. Yeah, a lot of them. some? I mean, does Sandman count as a non-superhero one? I think so. So Sandman is sort of my bridge into, I mean, it is a supernatural one that takes place in the DC universe, but it's very story-based and not very superhero-based. Mm -hmm. But then straight up, just not, I mean, Love and Rockets is one of my all-time favorite comic books. And it, that is not a superhero book. Weirdly, there are superheroes in it sometimes, but <laughs> it is only because it's such a weird book that covers so much ground. It, but it generally is not a superhero book. No one would call it a superhero book. Yeah. And um, uh, I love uh, Daniel Klaus comics. He did a mm -hmm. Ghost World and David Boring and Art School Confidential. Um, and uh, so I, I love all of his. Uh, Kevin, how about you? You've read a thousand there's a times. Lot of, there's a lot of crime books I love. I like The Hundred Bullets by... Uh, um, Brian Israelio. I also love everything Ed Brubaker has done, including Criminal, which is just straight up oh, yeah. noir crime stories. Criminal is extremely fun, very readable. Um, Kane by Paul Grist uh, is great. His He follows it up with Jack Staff, which is for sure a superhero book, but Kane is the first thing he did, and it was so good about a, a cop who was kicked off the force for um, shooting his partner. Shooting his partner, but his partner was dirty, yeah. probably. It's sort of unclear. The history is not spelled out for you it's it's drips and drabs throughout the series um but that's a great book uh i also really love richard sala's uh horror comics oh yeah like uh, it, the chuckling what's it is yeah, this big see, one uh, i love him um charles burns who does uh black hole comics about the the teenage community that's struck with like a zombie body decaying virus is a really compelling art art wise it's a really compelling book um, in the line of Why the Last Man, Bri everything Brian Vaughn does is good. Um, Saga, which is his sci-fi book, but also Paper Girls was really good. The time-traveling story about 80s Paper Girls. Oh, yeah. I read the first couple of volumes. That's really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, there's tons of... There's so many good comics, uh, both superhero and not. Superheroes dominate the comic book marketplace, but there's so many good things that are not. Yeah. Great question. Uh, I think we've got like one or two more, Will. Okay. Um, this is a long one. I'm going to save that. Um, did you read the 1987 run of Silver Surfer? This is from Gregory Young. And I did not. I did not read it. 87. That's, I mean, I, that's, uh, I'm surprised. 
I know that G- Lee and Kirby did one in 77 or 78. Right. And I, that was like a one shot. And I did read that. I read the issues that preceded Infinity, not Infinity War, uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, and that was really good. There's like a six or seven issue run that builds up to Infinity Gauntlet that I went back and read years later because uh, I loved Infinity Gauntlet. And yeah. um, that run was great. I was like, ooh, I can see why uh, this was a good setup for an uh, event. Anyway, he says, it, I think it contains the explorers and wacky situations vibe, the FF enhanced by the cosmic scope of the series. It also has some of the soap opera drama of Peter Parker, plus the epicness of what might be the best depiction of the Kree-Skrull War as a long-standing backdrop. The cast of characters is incredible. Nenora, clumsy, reptile. Uh, and it feels like a whole new galaxy that Kirby himself may have created. The first 60 or so issues are so good with a few exceptions, especially at the beginning. Uh, but I haven't cool. read it. It makes me want to. Yeah, it's a good pitch. Um, uh, cool. And then he says he likes our uh, our podcast. Thank you, sir. But you know, if he didn't, that would be a weird. It'd be strange. Email, yeah. yeah. very weird. Yeah. Hi, I'm just um, writing in to let you know I hate your podcast. Uh, I can't get through <laughs> any of it. Um, it's not my, not for me. Um, uh, one more. Okay. Um, this is from Benjamin Suarato. Another okay. last name that I'm hurting. Who signs <laughs> his email a devoted panty waste? Um, he's got a couple of questions for us would you rather be the regular banner hulk combo just puny banner or just the hulk and if the hulk which hulk this is just like in your day-to-day life will okay i'd rather be puny banner because i've uh i i'd be it'd be interesting to be that smart about science Mm -hmm. i'm curious for his science knowledge you know there's no way i'd want to be the banner hulk combo because the lack of control of turning into Hulk would be a real pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll be the Hulk. If I was going to uh, be a Hulk, I want to be Hulk smash Hulk. Okay, fair he enough. Seems, he seems unbothered by introspection in a nice way. You know what I mean? The dude's very present. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Vegas. I'd probably be Joe Fixit. <laughs> enjoy the. Uh, uh, I'd enjoy gambling. On someone else's dime, uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, and his second question is: Hulk has been a member of a couple of teams like the Avengers and Defenders. Um, he's like, that might be it. Actually, I'm not sure. Uh, if you were to put Hulk on a team, what kind of teammates do you think he should have? They don't have to be established characters. For instance, a trampoline man could make a useful teammate for Hulk. <laughs> I mean, I like, you know, I like teams that are barely holding it together, that are ready to fall. You know what? I want. How about a vampire? Wow. Okay. Hulk and a vampire, and um, and then a um, like and like some kind of enforcers type of dude who doesn't have a really useful skill. So a juggler, a guy who's expert juggler, a vampire, and the Incredible Hulk. Uh, a team of like putting Hulk as the leader would be a fun place to put him, making him okay. in charge of a team. Yeah, I think. Uh, just because he is doesn't seem suited for it. He's either dumb or has a temper or has some <laughs> huge vice yeah. that makes it hard for him to like call the shots. Uh, but I think I would dig that the most. Um, and I would probably surround him by a bunch of weaklings <laughs> that would just get into trouble and he could save them. So the Pretty enforcers are a great example. Pretty good answer. Yeah. Um, that's it, Will. All right. Thanks for all those emails. Let's save them. 
Yeah, we'll save them for next episode. So um, thanks so much for listening, everybody. This is uh, the beginning of our hey, Justice League. Oh, yeah. If you want to email us. Oh, right. Email our Gmail. Is, you, got, yes. you, do it. you got it. Our Gmail address is screwitspidey at gmail.com. And we have an Instagram account that's screwitcomics. Also, there's also an Instagram account, screwitrecent, which is just mm-hmm. whatever Kevin's reading recently. Mm-hmm. We have a Twitter account, screwitcomics. So check those out if you want. Yeah, I'll, I'll post images from this Justice League issue. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next episode. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just comics. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not all of them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? <gasps> I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney Vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Woo! Campfire.